0: Friends of the Sideyard Sidebar, this week we talk with Dan Prinzing, Executive Director of the Wasma Center for Human Rights, right here in Boise, Idaho, home of the only Anne Frank Memorial in the United States and an internationally recognized site of conscience. We discuss the memorial, the spiral of injustice, and what it means to be an upstander. Please listen to this whole
1: episode. You won't want to miss a second of it. Let's go! Welcome to the SideYard Sidebar. Grab your drink of the night and pull up a chair. Make yourself comfortable as we bring you discussion with substance and some of the best visitors from Boise and beyond. This is the SideYard Sidebar. This is the SideYard Sidebar. Thank you for listening. You're here with your host, Zach and your co-host, and one of the best producers of podcasts in all of uh, North America, Dusty. (laughs) Hello. (laughs) Hey, thanks for being here. We're excited to uh, have this episode. We're joined um, by a friend that does a lot of great work in Boise, and like we told you um, as we launched Season 2, our goal was to bring business owners, uh, people from the community, people from organizations that we support and we love, and um, we have the pleasure of doing that tonight. And so let's kick it off, Dusty, with drink of the night, and then we'll bring in our visitor right away and go right into our discussion with our visitor. What is your drink of the night? So tonight I took a little Sky Vodka gin, or sorry, no,
0: Sky Vodka tonic, so it's a little vodka tonic, but I put uh, passion fruit seeds inside. I, (laughs) I had them, so why not use them?
1: You had me try a spoonful of the seeds before, when I got here, and it was tasty. So yeah, it's not bad. I can imagine that the drink you made is probably really good. Yeah, it's okay. There you go.
0: It's okay. What do you have for me?
1: Tonight? I went with the fresh uh, squeeze from Deschutes, it's an IPA. And when I was coming over, I just felt like going with something that I've had before that I know won't uh, disappoint. And so I just grabbed the fresh squeeze. There you go. And it was a warm day, maybe one of the last warm days of the year. Yeah. So I thought the fresh squeeze would be perfect. So that's what I'm going with. Excellent. Perfect. Well, let's uh, introduce everybody to our uh, visitor. And we are here with Dan. Um, He is one of the leaders at the Wasmith Center uh, for Human Rights in Boise. And Dan and I met kind of through a business connection and and, um, through the company I work with and some of the things that we're working on with the Wasmith Center. And ultimately, um, as soon as I met him, as soon as I learned more about what they do, what their mission is, um, I was immediately connected to the group. And so, Dan, if you can give us uh, your full name, your full title, and then your drink of the night, we'll start with that. Oh,
2: Well, good evening, everybody. Dan Prenzian, Executive Director of the Wasmus Center for Human Rights. In my hand, I am cradling Irish whiskey. There you go. You know, nothing fancy to it, straight on the rocks.
1: Yeah. Well, and you and Dusty said, do you want it on the rocks or the rock? And And you asked for the rocks. The rock. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. A big uh, ball of ice. (laughs) Perfect. Now, with a lot of our visitors, what we start with is a bio. So can you start with that and just tell our listeners a couple minutes of who you are and anything that we should know about you personally?
2: I would say always by definition and part I'm an educator. That's always been the shaping force behind what I do and how I do it. So it was almost two decades in the classroom. When I left teaching I went to the Idaho State Department of Education under Dr. Marilyn Howard's administration. When she retired from public office I resigned and immediately moved to the Wasma Center for Human Rights first as education director and now as executive director. It's always been kind of that it's that blending of passion, scholarship, interests. I've always said I've been fortunate. I've never had a job because I've always been able to live my passions.
1: That's perfect. And I think there's a lot of people that aren't able to say, say that, that. But when you are, that's truly exactly. a blessing. That's amazing. Now, I did see on your bio that you are um, you have a PhD, right? Yes. And so then I, now I feel bad like... <laughs> Like how should we be saying doctor here? Or I mean, you've always been really kind And like when you when we first met, you said, hi, I'm Dan. But I mean, should we be showing no. you proper respect here? No,
2: I, I, re- I actually got my Ph.D. when I was still teaching in the classroom and it was a junior high classroom. So when the students heard that I was a doctor, they said, well, what kind of a doctor are you? I just told him I was a proctologist. I figured. That was, I said, <laughs> let him goes. figure out what that is. With yeah. yeah, there's a learning lesson. Go,
1: go and uh, find out what that is. So, Dan, I did want to talk to you about, um, within your bio, the part of you being a teacher yes. first. And um, where did you teach at? What was that experience like? Um, any interesting stories you can give us from there? And then we'll transition into what took you... Um, to the Wasmith Center.
2: So my teaching career was actually my second. It's like a change of life occurring every occasionally. I would actually had a full career in retail and store management. And then one day I woke up and said, this is not who and what I want to be. Okay. So I went back to school and became a classroom teacher. So I started at West Junior High. The old West Junior High by St. Alphonsus Hospital. Was there eight years. Then we opened up the new or the old LaBois Junior High that's now Timberline High School, and then moved and opened the new LaBois High School out at Columbia Village. But it was at that point, and I was picking up additional degrees. That was the one thing that always had marked my teaching career, is always that thirst for knowledge. More content, what could I share with my students? So every summer, I was studying somewhere. I was traveling somewhere as a part of that. And at that point, when I figured, okay, now it's time to use that knowledge gain, and the degrees in a different fashion. And then that's when I moved to the State Department.
0: And what was that like going from a classroom to the State Department?
2: A fascinating detail. You can go to the bathroom anytime you need to. Isn't that crazy? It's crazy. <laughs> with it. And I did not know what to do with a full hour-long lunch. Yeah. I had never had one before. And by state code, we were required to get up from our desk. So you had to leave. You had to do something. Wow. With it, and so I had to. That was a kind of a come to Jesus moment. What am I going to do with this time? Because I was not used to that. Because, as we all know, with a teacher's schedule, yeah. when you're on, you're on,
0: and you go, go, go. So, that would be weird, yeah, to try to figure out what to do.
1: That's now, interesting. as a teacher, because we had the teachers' episode last week, I did want to ask you really quickly here is there an interesting story that you can tell us? Maybe a great success, maybe a funny story or interaction with a student. But from those decades, or you know, that time in junior high school, um, is there something interesting you can share with the listeners from that?
2: Well, I probably messed up because normally I would introduce to you that I met and married my wife in junior high.
1: Tell us more. (laughs) I have no idea what that means. This is great. (laughs) Tell us.
2: We were both classroom teachers, and we met and we met at the school. So this was my first teaching job. And we were both single parents and we met on faculty and at that time we became the fifth married couple in the building. Oh, wow.
1: Wow. And was that at West? And or that, it, was at or, we, that was at West that okay. was at
2: West. Yeah. Very honored. And so that it became a fun because for a long time we hid the fact that we were dating until we got outed by another colleague who spotted us out on a date one night, brought the news back to the school once the (laughs) students heard we were getting married they just thought we should have the wedding right there in the school that the school band should play the reception should be in the cafeteria that they all (laughs) wanted to attend and i said no this is not going to happen
1: yeah well (laughs) i guess that's a good sign though that they were excited for you and they probably liked both of you so that's yes maybe uh kind of a weird situation (laughs) (laughs) but yet uh a compliment because they enjoyed you it was a shared experience oh yeah that's amazing um, okay, perfect. Let's transition over to um, your move from educating. And really, how did you find the Wasma Center? Or did the Wasma Center find you?
2: Well, I actually became involved because the Wasma Center is the builder and the home of the Idaho Anne Frank Human Rights Memorial. And it was well, I was a classroom teacher that I first got involved with the center. And that was in developing lessons that teachers could use when they brought their students to an exhibit in 1995 called Anne Frank and the World. That was an exhibit that really became the genesis or planted the seeds for building the memorial. So I was actually connected with the center even before there was a center. Exhibit was 95, the center was then established in 96 for the purpose of constructing a memorial to human rights. So for me it's been this lifelong always a part of. And then, when I was working at the State Department, we actually did the first joint project between the state and the center at that time, creating a K-12 scope and sequence of human rights lessons for the classroom. When I left the State Department, then it was a natural that I would bring a lot of the programs that we developed at the state. We knew a new administration was going to eliminate a lot of the initiatives that we had started under Dr. Howard's administration. So we moved them all to the Wasmus Center. And it just became this natural sequence. I always say it's like that thread in a tapestry. You're never quite sure where it's going to end.
1: Yeah, definitely. So That's you awesome. had the passion for it, the connections, yeah. and you were helping develop the and write the curriculum and, and what was actually being taught. Exactly. That's awesome. So at the Wasmus Center, um, if we can... I mean, I do want to give people an understanding of the history of it, and maybe it's just as easy as asking a general question. Um, what is the Wasmuth Center? Where is it at? What's important to know about it for listeners that maybe have seen it um, but don't know what it is or maybe have no idea what it
2: even is right in the heart of Boise? I think that's a great question, because, and we get that a lot from national and international visitors because you think in terms of a human rights education center in downtown Boise. And it always kind of is coupled with the question, how did that happen? Well, we have to be grounded in the memorial. When folks don't really quite kind of get a handle on what are human rights or what are the concepts or the themes that we value, if I can get them into the memorial, then they know us. I always say it is the physical embodiment of everything we stand for. And if I can get folks into the memorial, we know we have gotten new friends, new folks that are gonna to wanna to create a conversation. So as I said, the Wasma Center was responsible for building the memorial. But I have to say that with a caveat. We were entrusted by donors, individuals, businesses, and foundations to build a physical site of our shared values. And we take that very seriously because the memorial was not built by the city. It was not built by the state. It was built from a grassroots effort to say, okay, this is who and what we are. This is what we believe. And I think a lot of that speaks to our own state's history. As we continue to grow, once the memorial was dedicated to the public and opened in 2002, then we were redefining ourselves as a center. Now we became the education arm of the memorial. You have the physical site, but how are we going to translate that site into lessons, content, resources that can be shared in classrooms and communities throughout the state? And I would tag on with the power of media throughout the nation and world.
1: Definitely. Definitely. And part of the, like, my first experience, not necessarily being there, but meeting you and getting the full uh, tour and the background behind it, which really opened up a lot more for me. Um, You talked about the spiral of injustice, and um, I wanted to talk to you more about that. So, can you introduce that topic to our listeners?
2: So I always introduce that anything you see or read in our programming, it's born out of the message in the memorial. And so we really landed on what are two very poignant themes when you visit the memorial. One, be an upstander. The second, the spiral of injustice. We developed the spiral of injustice as a model for exploring how does injustice, we would say devolve. Others might say it evolves. There are existing models, pyramid of hate, ladder of injustice, they're static, they're incremental. They didn't work for me. We looked at the models, and as I'm examining them, and we're very much a research-based organization. And we're looking at how the models are being used with it. And I said, that to me is not how injustice occurs in a community. There's a fluidity to it. And so hence, we actually created a spiral. Spiral, you see inside, you see outside, there's movement to it. Then we coupled that with the existing models always build up to genocide. Well, that also smacks to me. It's not like you're evolving or you're climbing up to commit genocide. I said, we flipped that. I said, something's spiraling out of control. What is happening in the community? And so that's where we really begin to analyze. And I can use the model that we've created and copyrighted as whether this is injustice today or is this a tool I'm going to use to teach about the Holocaust or any genocide that's Guru? Well, the first level in the spiral, first level of injustice in any genocide, is language. What are the words we use? When we were creating the model, we were living through a campaign season where words were being thrown around. Folks were being targeted. Folks were being demeaned by virtue of what we always reference as the other. For some reason, they're identified or demeaned as being the other be race, religion, ethnicity, orientation, nationality, ability, gender. I always say at any point, any one of us, all of us, have been the other. But we were seeing and listening to a campaign where the other was being so verbally attacked. Well, that's the start of the spiral. You begin to progress or devolve from that point avoidance, discrimination violence, and then elimination. We don't go straight to genocide because I can actually eliminate you without killing you. I can do it through policy. Yeah. And so that's why we really try to draw a lot of attention. Okay, how are we treating? How are we building a community? How are we recognizing the other that we're encountering?
1: Yeah, and it's interesting when you say that In that the first step is language because even... Um, saying, I didn't like the way you're talking about it evolving. Mm-hmm. You're saying, hey, let's change this. It's a spiral. Yeah. And there you go.
2: You know, you picture that. And the whole movement of a spiral. And something's happening with it. I, have, I was working with a group of students yesterday. They were on tour in the memorial. And I just simply asked them, I said, okay, Germany at the time, one of the most culturally literate religious countries in the world, split between Protestant, Catholic... How do you go one day from thou shalt not kill to "Mm, it's okay. I can kill you. Your life has no meaning. I said, something is devolving there.
1: Yeah, that exactly. That just doesn't happen overnight. And do you feel like in the spiral, um, is it something where people try to, is it about the education or is it trying to um, figure out where you're at within the spiral or how it's impacting you? I mean, like, is it a personal connection of, oh, wow, on these topics or these themes, here's where I identify myself, and how do I break away from that?
2: We had a great opportunity. We were interacting with some art educators. In the memorial now, we have the statue called The Other, and it actually visually portrays the whole concept of the spiral of injustice. One of the young art educators came to us, and she was saying, you know, I come to the memorial... I look at the bronze statue of Anne. I don't relate. Anne's not my story. I appreciate the statue, but she's not my story. I look in the statue of the other, and in it, I see myself. And in seeing myself, I understand Anne's story. Well, that's what we're trying to do is when we recognize the injustice that we encounter. But we always have to couple that because I always, one thing we are not is a place that is always just a downer, even though when we're talking about genocide and Holocaust and the injustices of today, we always have to couple them with hope. Anne Frank, in her diary, was very much about hope and that how do we get beyond this? How are we gonna be recognized as people beyond, in her case, just being seen as a Jew? And so we always couple the discussion of uh, the spiral of injustice with being an upstander, because then the message is, how do we confront injustice? By interrupting the spiral. spiral.
1: There you go, and you mentioned up being an upstander earlier. Tell us more about being an upstander and what that um, education and message is.
2: Well, I think especially practitioners in schools, every school, every school district has had their version of an anti-bullying campaign. To me, those do not really get to the root causes. I often have looked at an anti-bullying campaign as almost like a band-aid. We know that students bully for a variety of reasons. What's happening at home? What's happening in a broader community? The school can only deal with so much. So rather than concentrating our efforts on the action of the bully, we concentrate on the actions or the inaction of everyone who's standing around watching and not doing or saying anything. This program was really born out of our work with Rose Bill. Rose with a, was a Holocaust survivor. She spent the last 10 years of her life in Boise, speaking in schools, communities around the state. And she would talk about when Hitler came to power, how yesterday those had been her friends that today became her tormentors. And nobody stood up in her defense. It was a world of bystanders. And so that's when we flipped it up and said, okay, what can we do to empower someone to be an upstander. You see or you hear injustice, how can you step in or speak out? What can you do? What are the actions? So we actually use the acronym for the program ACT, the A-C-T. Ask. You hear a word, you hear a joke, it's inappropriate, or it demeans somebody. Ask, do you really know what you're saying? You really know what that means? Can we create a conversation with a good question? The C is choose. To be an upstander is an intentional choice. And then the T is teach. Teach by example of how you lead your life. We often will talk about, I dare not call myself an upstander or an ally if you never witness it. So we, when we're working with students, we tell them to be an upstander. That is not a noun. It's a verb. It requires action.
1: Mm -hmm. Definitely. And that choose part is just stood out when you were explaining that just because even as an adult, sometimes it's hard to make that choice, Choice. let alone a child. Yet there's been countless times where somebody stuck up for somebody and has been that upstander um, at a young age. And that's so amazing to see or to hear that story.
0: I had the opportunity, there was a, a bullying situation where a, a sixth grader kind of walked towards a, a younger third grader and basically said, give me your, give me some money. And there were two boys with him and we have video cameras. And it was interesting because we called the two boys in and we said, I want you to watch this video. The one kid went and got towards the third grader. The two other boys knew it was wrong, but they just turned their back. And stepped away.
1: So they didn't want to engage in it, but they didn't want... Or, they knew
0: you know, it was wrong. And, yeah. and they had that sense. And we brought them in and said, you had an opportunity to step in and you didn't. Why not? Exactly. And it was really interesting to see these boys think about that. And we said, we, we can see you knew it was wrong. You knew you shouldn't have been there and you stepped away or you turned around. But you still let that happen. Yeah. And that was a really interesting time to tell these boys, "Step up, you're super powerful when you say something." And that was it was it's, it is that. And a lot of kids, I know, whether it's the pecking order, whether it's I don't, uh just kind of recess, uh, you know, the interaction of kids, they don't want to ruffle feathers. There's not a lot of brave courageous kids that will step in and defend or step in and say something. And that's something that does need to be taught in schools at a young age to say, you have the power to do this. One person can rally more when they see something like that happen.
2: You know, that's what we're actually developing right now, a whole new program or a resource on an upstander toolkit. Mm -hmm. Because we do believe that students will do the right thing And that's, just as you said, they know what to do. They know it. But sometimes, what are the prompts? So when we say, okay, ask the question, okay, we're going to help them. Well, what are some of the ways to phrase that question? Just the prompts with it. And so we're really having fun. We have a great programming committee and many practicing teachers on the committee. And they're bringing in that, okay, these are the ways we can help to coach, that we can help. We were working with a young man. He was a, just finished his junior year in high school. And he came to me in tears. And he said, Dan, I've just had to break away from my peer group. These were the guys that I've gone through first through 11th grade with. These are my friends. And I had to step away from them because I was listening to what they were saying. And all of a sudden I became afraid if somebody walked by and heard that, they're going to think I say and believe the same thing. Yeah. And we had not given him the tools to be able to confront his peers. And we believe that you can confront without being confrontational. What are the questions? Yeah, definitely. But we had not prepared him for that. And so the only option he felt he had was to step away. He said, this is okay. So he was living up the T. He was going to teach by example of how he's leading his life. But I thought, how sad. There's got to be more to our programming to prepare him to confront. Say, wait a minute, this is wrong.
1: And with that programming as it's developed and built, is that going to be K through 12?
2: That's a K through 12. Okay. With but Zach, as you're well familiar with, right now we're also developing, and we actually launched this fall a whole program for being an upstander in the business community. Yeah. You know, what's that conversation at the water cooler? What are the pieces that we witness in a day to day interaction with our colleagues? Where are we willing to step in? Are we willing to confront and talk about the issues? So this is what we're developing right now, is a human rights certification program. You know, we all get certified, especially as educators. I can get pick up certificates. These are my added skills or added content, knowledge. I said, here we have a certificate program for these are my values. I believe in diversity and inclusion and respect and civility, ethics, and the concept of being an upstander.
1: Definitely. I love it. One thing I did want to ask you about the site itself, um, our group at work, we were able to set up an event there with some of our leaders. And one of the activities we did was taking time for people to view the wall of quotes mm-hmm. and then come back in with a partner, discuss what their favorite quote was. What, what is the quote that stood out to them? And a little bit about why it hit them, like maybe at that point in their life or just for whatever reason, why it meant something to them at that point. And that activity um, was really impactful. And it seems so simple, but it was really impactful. And so I wanted to ask you, what is your favorite quote on the wall?
2: I always go back to the Confucius, what you do not want done to yourself, do not do to others. When folks ask us really what is the memorial or what the Wasma Center is all about, I always go back to that quote. Because to me, it is the very essence of how you build a community. Why would I want to be why would I do to you in a way that I don't want to be treated like? Why would I want rights for myself that I wouldn't want to extend for you? And it, that to me is just the pure essence of who and what we are. But I, we have others, our docents that give the tours. We give do- docent-led tours to over 10,000 students a year. Each docent has his or her favorite quote. It's kind of what grounds it. That's yeah. the beauty of it. When you work in an environment where you're surrounded by words, which words speak to you?
1: The first time I went there, I looked at one, and it was just um, from Moses, <laughs> let my people go. <laughs> and uh, for whatever reason, of all the other quotes, it was like that simple short saying that for some reason i hadn't ever connected to and it's so far back in history but it's that fact of like just complete slavery complete bondage and i i mean i don't have to go through and Mm -hmm. and say everything that it meant to me here um but that just stuck out and because it stuck with me then i thought why and so then i had to think through it and understand why did that mean more to me emotionally um, or connect to me more than all these other quotes that are just as amazing.
2: You know what so. I like with that, too? Because we have over 80 quotes etched into the walls of the memorial. Those quotes were all selected by a group of volunteers right here in town. This was a committee of volunteers, and that was their charge. And they waded through thousands of quotes to finally pick which ones they would now? You would think, as a human rights organization, we all get along and we're all very kind mm. and compassionate. Until it came to the selection of the quotes, because everybody had his or her favorite, and I think there are still a few ruffled feathers in town if somebody did not get their quote. There is some passion. <laughs> there around is that passion debate. around yeah. that. But is I think there any what...
1: chance that the, the wall grows and more quotes get added, or is it kind of is that part of it um, in stone at this point?
2: It's an interesting question because we did promise the city when we just added the Marilyn Schuler Classroom that we would have no additional expansion plans of the memorial. We basically added a third more in size from the original that opened in 2002. With that, we were able to add eight more quotes. For us, it is a lengthy process. We take word, Words matter, and we take them very seriously. There's a lot of research, and so the committee gets, uh, that's a good question. Could we add more? it's not an easy process and not from the city's end on our end on what we go through with it
1: it's not actively being pursued but not there's the a moment. chance there's always a maybe there's,
2: there's a always maybe. a maybe
1: okay cool <laughs> well i appreciate that now one thing that i think we should jump to really quick where do people find this uh, we've been talking about the whole thing it. where is it at
2: so see we're at the heart of downtown so our office physical address is seven south 8, 777 south 8 directly behind the public library. The memorial sits right next to the downtown library.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, between, is that 8th and Capitol then? Yeah, it's... Or... Yes. Okay. And right where the downtown public library is, and then it's really right off the green belt.
2: So I would tell people, we are not only in the heart of the city, we are the heart of the city.
0: Yeah.
1: That's a good way to put it. (laughs) Perfect. Now, I did want to jump to something else and um brag on you because I did give you a compliment when we were in an event last week and you're so good at speaking in front of people you're very confident um and your passion sh- shines through and you're very measured in what you say and I I mean what you decide to um how you decide to word things and so we were at the Boise State uh the 2019 BSU DNI summit And you were a panelist in one of the breakout sessions, and I just wanted to get your thoughts on how that went, um, what things you enjoyed about that event.
2: I think the, the Institute as a whole is a pretty phenomenal experience in the fact that what is being discussed and who's attending the presentations, who's there in the room to really be here. And what you've got are a real gathering of very passionate people that are really wanting to talk about more on diversity and inclusion. The panel experience was, because the whole nature of the panel was, how do we embrace diversity and inclusion? Uh, I was talking after the fact, and I think almost in some respects it could have been two panels. uh, Because we had those who were telling their stories. And we know in human rights work, you can't just talk about themes and issues. You have to give it a face and a voice. And so they became the face and the voice to what they have faced living in our community. So the stories had real meaning. My only frustration, where I'd like to have continued with, now once you've heard the story, what are you going to do with it? We can't just let the stories sit out there.
1: Yeah, definitely.
2: And so that's what I always feel, as, as I introduced on the panel, we know that our work is not done. We hear the stories, people of color, members of our LGBTQ community, those that have witnessed or faced injustice of their own, but just acknowledging it, that that's not enough. What are we going to do about it? And so for us, it I almost want to get into that call to action.
1: Yeah, definitely. And that was brought up a little bit uh, within the discussion, kind of at the very end. Um, maybe could have been done better, for sure. And like you talked about, it was hearing the experiences of the other yeah. is important. And to me, it was a lot heavier than I thought it was yeah. going to be. Walking into the room, definitely. And... Um, some of the comments you made were, were awesome in in that regard. The other event that I was able to attend the last two years, and tell me if I'm getting this wrong, Change, Change the World event. Change the World right? celebration. Change the World celebration. And this year, it was scheduled on the night of a BSU game, <laughs> and it was still a great turnout. Sold out. great, Yeah, sold out. What? It was amazing. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, it was a Friday night, yes. but then a BSU, was it a home game? It away was a game? home game. Yeah, a home game. <laughs> you never
2: want to compete with and, a home game, but... It was just great to see yeah. the
1: atmosphere, to see the people there. And that was another chance to just um, see you speak in front of others. But can you tell us uh, what that event means to the Wasma Center as a whole and how you felt like the event went this year?
2: Well, I think, you know, just for the audience, we are a very traditional nonprofit. So we get no support from the state, from the city with it. So we're always, what kind of fundraising are you going to do? So this is our signature community fundraiser. And it's really our chance to tell the story. But we literally do celebrate. We're going to celebrate the work we're doing and the impact of the memorial. So, yeah, this year's largest in attendance. We were sold out a month before the event. Largest in attendance and largest ever in single night event fundraising.
1: That's awesome. So the level of
2: interest and passion in the room, that was exciting.
1: Um, And... I'm somewhat of a numbers guy, but seeing the event this year compared to last year and just seeing the vibe and everything that was going on, despite the BSU game, <laughs> it was just awesome. Yeah. And, um, it, it seemed like it did really well. So I'm glad to hear that. Dan, the work you do is so important. And, um, I appreciate you sharing everything in, uh, about the Wasma center and, um, answering our questions in regards to that. I think our listeners will get a lot out of that. um, I did want to transfer back to you though personally before we go into winners and losers, and the work you're doing seems so important. And I know if I was doing that, it may be very draining. So we just wanted to ask you, like, what do you do as hobby? As a hobby, what are some of the things you enjoy? So when you are off the clock, how are you unwinding? How are you enjoying yourself?
2: Yeah, that's the problem because I've never had hobbies because my work is my hobby. The uh, but well, that's right. You said you <laughs> never worked a day in your yeah, like, since you've been no, doing it. Okay. No. The, my reality, though, because it can become so heady and so much in the research and the writing that I found years ago is necessary. The way to break away from I go to the gym. I work out. Okay. And I needed to pound heavy weights. There you go. You know, I'm, an, I'm an old man that's still trying to stay a little young with it. But I, just, I needed that for myself. And I said it really, rather than anything it was going to do for a body, it was what it was doing for my head. Yes. It's just to be able to work out and get my head in a different space. I that's,
1: think both of us can connect with that because recently we've been working on losing a little weight, pushing ourselves, yeah. challenging ourselves. And some of that's outside of the gym, but a lot of it has been physically pushing ourselves to new heights. And um, a lot of our listeners have probably heard what we've been doing. And that's, but it's we a can connect to that avenue. so much.
2: Yeah, and it's it's different skill set. And it's, it's a me that isn't on, on stage every day. It's a me that's just trying something different. And I have a great trainer that I work with. I've been with him for years, and he knows me well. And Okay, we're going to go a little heavier. We're going to try a little bit more here.
1: That's awesome. That is cool. <laughs> what are other things do you do outside of uh, I think, uh, A part of gym. it that
2: has been a, a real fun piece, and it was programming when I was at the State Department. We started an international education initiative that transitioned to the Wasma Center. And so I've had the opportunity to travel a lot. And so I've often teased that I'm a born-again travel agent because we also set up opportunities for our Wasmuth Center donors to travel with us. In March, we have an ongoing program in Cambodia delivering backpacks and bicycles to students to keep them in school. In Mozambique, we have a program in association with Greg Carr at Gorongosa National Park, keeping young ladies in school. We know if girls can finish high school, not only are they going to be better off in the long run, so are their children, and so is the whole village. So we've got it. it's an annual program that goes every May. Every We also do an annual cultural encounter abroad. Next week, I head to Vietnam with a group of 21. We're really looking at a country that has historical significance with this. It's a changing economy and landscape in Southeast Asia. So that's this. Next year, we head to Israel, programming there and work what we've done with students in the West Bank and in Israel. Wow.
1: That's awesome. So on this next the most recent one coming up in Vietnam. Tell us a little bit more about that.
2: I always tell folks that are traveling with us, I said, we don't go to stand at the window and just look in. We're going to open the door and we're going to plow in there. So we're going to eat the food. We're going to talk with the people. We're going to try the cultural activities. We're going to embrace the culture. I said, if you wanted your same bed and your same pillow and your same food that you eat at home, you should have just stayed home. That's awesome. Yeah.
1: That's great. <laughs> that is. Well, we appreciate you sharing yeah. some of that with uh, with us in terms of your personal hobbies. And we will shift over to winners and losers. Before we do that, though, we did want to ask you, how do people connect with the center? How do they learn more? Um, how do they get in touch with the center if they need the resources?
2: Uh, I think first go to check our websites. And we have two. So we have WasmusCenter.org. W-A-S-S-M-U-T-H-Center.org. That takes you right into the center, our operations, our programming, our resources. But we also have Anne Frank So then that really introduces the memorial. In fact, I think it's, you know, part of it, we always introduce the folks. We're the only Anne Frank Memorial in the U.S., one of the few places in the world with the Universal Declaration of Human Rights on public display, and we're recognized as an international site of conscience. So that's when we created this independent website for just the memorial because of what it now means, what it represents within our community, and then, of course, links going back and forth between both sites.
1: That's awesome. So only in Frank Memorial in, in the, the United, United States. States, are, and how many others are in the world?
2: There's some scattering, and there's some smaller parks, Okay, uh, nothing quite... When Buddy Elias came to Boise in 2014, Buddy was... Anne Frank's last immediate surviving relative. He came here when he was 88, and he got into the memorial and he said, there is nothing like this anywhere in the world. He said, you have so captured Anne's story. Yes, it's the horrors of the Holocaust, but it was also her hope for humanity. He said, this doesn't exist elsewhere.
1: That's amazing. I love hearing that. And right here in voice Exactly. And if there's no other reason to go see it in person... Uh, to look at the wall of quotes, to look at everything that's set up there, or to go on the website, like you said, um, please let this be the reason.
2: Number three on TripAdvisor, if you're coming to Boise, we beat the blue turf. Number three on TripAdvisor. Yes. Okay.
1: Yes. Hey, if the, if this is the time to brag, <laughs> go for we're it. Gonna, yes. <laughs> that's that's awesome. awesome. And you did say real quickly like that there's companies where they have visitors coming in from out of town and that will be the place that they'll take people. Uh, a lot of companies will
2: actually pick somebody up at the airport and it's their first stop in town.
1: That's awesome. Yeah. That is so cool. Well, let's transition over to uh winners and losers and we'll uh wrap up this episode with that like we always do. And let's go ahead and start with Dusty first. And then we'll go to Dan and then I'll close it out.
0: All right. So like we're doing in season 2, I'm going to start with a loser. Uh, the loser is old trees, and the reason is is because last night I was woken up at about three thirty in the morning by a huge crack. Just jumped out of bed, didn't know what happened. Well, my neighbor's tree has been like dropping these decent sized branches. Well, last night a whole section of it fell in my backyard, and luckily it's in the back and uh, it didn't hurt anyone. But Zach made a comment today that. That's where his family usually puts their tent when they camp out here for Freedom Fest. Like, it crashed his spot.
1: Yeah. So anybody that's been at Freedom Fest, or if you haven't, just picture a spot, or Freedom Fest in general. Yeah. We have an all-day event, and families camp out in your massive side yard, backyard. Yeah. And um, I, (laughs) I didn't think about that at first, but as we walked out there, then I was like, this is a huge branch. Yeah crushed your fence yeah and that's where we always set our tent
0: yeah so that's a loser because um my neighbor has offered you know to pay and clean it up which is great but um but yeah it's just a loser it just keeps happening and i don't know if it's the cold that's coming in and like shocking it or what but that's my loser of the week um my winner this week is the side yard merchandise so we put in our order the other night with our last uh, guest, or two guests ago, Matt. We have new merchandise coming out that says Side Yard on it. And uh, the quote is, let's have some fun out here, which is what you said at the golf tournament. And uh, my nephew, Skyler helped design the logo. Matt helped design the logo. And so that's coming out in the next few weeks.
1: Normally, I would say it's pretty gimmicky, but I really like the designs and... <laughs> It's everything awesome. that you came up with the shirts sweatshirts and everything so yeah so it's going
0: to be up on the uh is
2: Instagram the launch of Facebook. that at
1: veterans day karaoke or yes, is, it is it and then from there it's just we'll post let me it know what people, you need yeah, yeah so it's
0: something. i don't know it's i always feel weird like you're making merchandise for your house yeah we are because it's the side yard is more than just like a little spot in my backyard it's it's friendships it's getting to know new people It's branched out into this podcast where we can introduce people to to Boise and beyond that. And so, yeah, why not? Let's support the side yard. So that's
1: my winner this week. I like it. That's my winner. Okay, Dan, let's uh, Uh, switch over to you. What's your uh, winner and loser of the week?
2: Well, I have to go because I'm still reeling from, you mentioned the panel that I was on. And as I introduced on the panel, everybody, we each have a story. And just because you see me, you don't know the story. But what really became the moment for me, and I'm still struggling with it, was when I had to deal with the fact and recognize that I was the oldest man at the table. And that's just just continuing to hurt now because I'm getting into a lot of environments that when did this happen? And, and yeah, that's yeah, so that's just kind of attacking my whole self esteem thing right now. So that's the illusion of the week. That makes total sense. You're like, I am still actively trying to figure this out. That's awesome. What about your winner? Oh, my winner with that. So we've got actually, we received funding from a national uh, foundation, and they are actually holding a celebration at a major location in New York City this weekend. And we've got, we've got an actor we have worked a lot in some of our videos who lives in New York City, so he's going to go on our behalf and represent it. But they're going to celebrate the work of the Wasmus Center at this function on, right on Broadway. That is awesome. awesome.
1: Yeah. And when when is that happening?
2: So they're doing it this weekend. It Jeez is the 20th. Jeez okay. Yeah. okay. Yeah. Well, that we'll have so to get exciting. an update from you and exactly. see how
1: that went. That's definitely exciting. And it spreads the message. Yeah, it spreads. There we go. So, for me, the uh, loser of the week, sometimes we have general ones, kind of like traffic. And this one for me feels kind of general and generic, but it's just hitting home, is illness. And it's that time of year. And um, it's just one of those things where the girls got sick, I got sick, and. When I was sick, it just kept lingering. I had a friend at work that says, "I'm not trying to mother you, but have you been to the doctor?" <laughs> <laughs> I said, "No, I don't want to go to the doctor. I think it's getting better." Um, but and then now my wife's, you know, been struggling the illness, um, you know, with with some sickness, and it just is tough in a big family. Like it can, everybody can get it, or even if one or two people have it, the dynamics off and. Um, just, man, I hope that everybody can stay healthy and not have the illness. But when you do, I sympathize with you, and that is definitely a loser. Um, so just illness in general. And then my winner of the week was Idaho Fishing Game. I went hunting this last weekend with friends from work. And I'm not a big hunter. I know a little bit about it from my youth with my grandpa. Um, but overall, I as an adult, I've really not been hunting. And they invited me. I really wanted to go, and I got a passport through um, Idaho Fishing Game for $1.75. I could go up there and be part of the activities if I'm with a hunter with the full license and everything. You can only do it for one year. Um, And the whole hunting experience, I think there were uh, positives and negatives. But the great thing of Idaho Fishing Game, we actually were up by Council, Idaho, and we got stopped. And all the guys I were with in all their years of hunting had never been stopped. And like, so they checked our license and they chatted it up with us for five or ten minutes. And it was just a great experience. I think that sometimes in those scenarios, uh, maybe it's tense or you're feeling like this maybe won't go great. At least that's what I was feeling like. And we just showed them everything we had. Um, We did have a couple birds in the cooler in the back of our rig. They checked those. And, um, Idaho fishing game. Thank you so much. And I don't remember, uh, the officer's name that was up there, but it was just a great encounter and great experience. And they're up there doing their job. It was also the first week of deer season, which when we planned the trip, we didn't exactly know cause we were going for birds that made it a wild experience. Cause there was a lot more people up there in the mountains and the hills than we expected. But, um, Idaho fishing game, our experience was great. Thank you that's awesome so cool and as we do at the end of every episode Dan we do want to say thank you so much for letting us know you tonight
2: thank you for being known